Thanks to our sponsor, Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun Application Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 407. Today, I'm going to talk to Stefan Bauer, who's just released H2O, an open source project that is a pure HTML and CSS implementation of Microsoft's Fluent Design System, recorded live April the 29th, 2021. Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Connell. I'm flying solo today without my trusty sidekick, Chris Johnson. We had an interview that we were going to do today with Stefan Bauer, which I did end up doing the interview, but because we've got three very disparate time zones, it was making it kind of hard to get everybody's time to line up just right. And so unfortunately, CJ was not able to join me today with today's episode. All good. We are going to focus primarily on the topic at hand. But before we do that, I do want to spend a minute and go through our relatively new segment to the show, which is what's new in Microsoft 365 and Microsoft Azure. This installment for this week is going to be all about Azure. This episode is brought to you by ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle, from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams, and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. And now back to the show. I tell you, when I first started this idea about doing this, the same thing that we do for the Microsoft 365 stuff, and every week we were highlighting some of the announcements coming from the Message Center and the Microsoft 365 admin portal, uh, I figured, well, we should do this for Azure as well, because Azure has a lot of updates as well, and people want to tune in and find out what the latest and greatest stuff is going on over in Azure. But, oh my goodness, I might have underestimated how much stuff is going on and how often we want to be able to do this. We are going to do it, though, because I looked at it today, or earlier today, I guess, and uh, started making a list of all the things that I wanted to call out that's new announcements from Azure between different features and things that have gone public preview, things that have gone generally available, and it's a lot. It is quite a bit. So I had to kind of like, 
had to kind of filter it down and just say, you know, let's focus primarily on things that are generally available, that are going generally available, and a couple things that are also public preview, have gone public preview as well. But please know, this is not an exhaustive list of everything that Azure has released or announced in the last two weeks. I would expect that things are going to get a little bit more quiet as we have our lead up to the Microsoft Build Conference that's coming up in the week of May 25th. I think it's May 25th through the 27th. It's going to be a virtual event. You can go sign up for it now. But like usual, we usually see Microsoft kind of get a little bit more quiet as we get closer to Build or Ignite for Azure releases, and they kind of wait until right at the event time to where they go through and announce everything. So there are a few things I do want to highlight here. I've got four things that are related to Azure Monitor. One of them, I'm excited about this. It's now generally available. Application Insights work item integration in Azure Monitor is now generally available, moving on from public preview. So this is cool because what this does is it gives you the ability to capture the context of a failure or a performance issue that's occurring in your application so that you can remediate the problem. And so the cool thing about this is that this work item integration functionality allows you to easily create a work item in GitHub or Azure DevOps based on bugs or issues that you've experienced. And then you can include App Insights data into the work item to pass on the proper context. So what happens is, is that when you create one of these work items, we can now have advanced fields like assignee, projects, and milestones or things that I can add as well into the template that's going to get created. I can have different repository icons so I can differentiate between GitHub and Azure DevOps workbooks multiple configurations for any number of repositories or work items, deployment through ARM templates, pre-built custom query language queries to add to App Insights data for your work items, and customizable workbook templates. This is going to be something pretty cool to take a look at if you're interested in learning more about this. Another thing related to Azure Monitor is that Log Analytics Workspace Name Uniqueness is now generally available on a per-resource group. So before, Microsoft is now... Well, not before, but what Microsoft has done in this update is they've changed the way that they enforce workspace name uniqueness, and it's now maintained in the resource group context. So that allows you to use the same workspace name and deployments across multiple environments for consistency. So it now is maintained as follows. The workplace ID is globally unique across your entire, all of, all of Azure. The workspace resource ID has also has global uniqueness, but the workspace name is only going to be unique for each resource group. Two other things that are related to Azure Monitor is Application Insights and South has now been introduced in a public preview for the South India and West Central U.S. regions. And then also in public preview, it's also been added to Log Analytics has also been added to the South India region as well. We do have another update here where another generally available update. This is around the API management. So this now has, there's now a generally available support for availability zones of your API management. These availability zones give you the ability to have high availability for your mission critical apps and data. And support for this capability means that you can now ensure the following for your API management instances. You can achieve higher availability in a single region. You can achieve higher availability in the primary region when multi-region deployments are used. And you can also have higher availability in every region of a multi-region deployment. Another generally available announcement around Azure Blob Storage is that now Azure Blob Storage now supports objects up to 
200 terabytes in size. So each blob is made up of 50,000 blocks. Each block can now be four gigabytes in size for a total size of 200 terabytes for, and that is if you're using things with like uh, Azure Data Lake Gen 2 storage, which is part of the whole blob storage capability there. Another thing that we have is around IoT. So what, another thing that's a bunch of features related to Azure IoT Central that have been announced recently or generally available features are things like filter jobs are going to now result, filter job results can now come back and reported properties. You can export a device lifecycle and device template events and application usage monitoring improvements. There's a bunch of improvements in that area. And then also a bunch of documentation improvements as well. And then finally, the last one that I wanted to share with you is around application gateways. It is now generally available for URL rewrites uh, to happen. So an an Azure application gateway supports the ability to rewrite host name, path, and query string of the resulting URL in addition to header rewrites. Now you can also rewrite the URL of all or some of the client requests based on matching one or more of the conditions that are required. The way this works is you can choose to route the request based on the original URL or of the rewritten URL. And this feature is going to give you the ability to implement a bunch of different important scenarios, such as allowing path-based routing for query string values and support for also working with hosting-friendly URLs. So that's a handful of updates that I wanted to share with you on what's new inside of Azure this week, the last full week of April 2021. Now, this episode is going to be going to feature an interview that I had with a good friend of mine, Stefan Bauer. Stefan is like the designer that if you want to talk to somebody who is completely independent and is not, you know, doesn't work for Microsoft in terms of like what the best design thing that you should use for your projects, Stefan is always my go-to guy. He's the one that he understands this stuff so much better than, than I do, at least, but a lot of people that I know. And he also understands the way that things should work and the way that the community works and the way open source works. One of the things that he's done is that in this past week, he announced the release of a project that he's been working on called H2O. And it's actually spelled out that way. It's H and then the the word 2, T-W-O, with an O on the end of it. And what this is, is this is taking Microsoft's Fluent Design System and it's implementing it in a pure HTML and CSS implementation. And what that means is that you're not stuck with having to use some web framework in order to get the implementation of like a drop-down box or a button or a toggle control. Everything is done with just pure HTML and CSS. And as a developer, I know I've run into many, many problems and many challenges in trying to work with some of Microsoft's different user interface and design systems that they've provided. We've gone from Metro many years ago. That was right around the time of like Windows Phone and Windows 8 when that was coming out. We had Office UI Fabric. That came out in a couple different flavors from just core CSS. And then they had a JavaScript component model as well that used jQuery to implement controls. Then they started, they kind of abandoned that, went over to working with Office UI Fabric React. Present day, we're working with something called Fluent UI, which really is just the next, is just Office UI Fabric renamed is, is the way I see it. Because actually when you install the Fluent UI uh, React controls, the name of the package is still the Office UI Fabric React controls. 
And then now we're starting to see more stuff coming out as well. We've seen in the Teams group, there was a project called Stardust that was that was being worked on. They had their own design language that got merged into Fluent. And then Fluent has this thing called North Star. And North Star was supposed to be the next version of Fluent. Now we're starting to see something called Fast Design that's going to be coming from Microsoft. And I'm assuming we're going to hear about it at the Build Conference uh, coming up in the, in the next couple of weeks. But it seems like every time that Microsoft releases a new design implementation, new design package, it's always to address the shortcomings of the one before it. And when we've kind of moved on from Metro to Office UI Fabric to Fluent, now we're starting to see another one called Fast you got to forgive me if I'm a little hesitant just saying, well, why is this one going to be so different from the previous ones? And it's not going to bite me like the other ones have. It's not really like the same discussion that we have as SharePoint developers when we've moved from development model to development model and addressing the problems of the past. But it's not unlike that. It's not too much unlike that, but it's not really the same thing. What I really like about this, is, as Stefan and I will get into, is that this really does simplify stuff. This is also a project that has not just been, you know, built in the basement by one person. This is actually being used with real-world customers today and some really big projects. So we can't talk too much about the people who are actually using this, but some of his big clients are actually using it. So I'm, I am impressed that this does have some real-world battle-tested experience with some really good uh, web developers that are also working in this space as well. So... Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into my interview and discussion about H2O with Stefan Bauer. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. I'm very excited, very much looking forward to our interview today. Here, I'm sitting here with uh, Stefan Bauer who is responsible for something called H2O. Stefan, how are you today? Thank you. All good. <laughs> Thank awesome you have for you. having me on the show. Absolutely, man. It's fantastic to have you on a show, and I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to this interview for uh, a couple of weeks now since you, you showed me a little preview of what was coming that you've done. You really are, What we're going to talk about today is really something that is, to me, is you have got quite the antidote for, or quite the aspirin, for a pain that many of us developers have felt who are in the Microsoft 365 space and have been dealing with this pain for quite some time now. So I'm looking forward to, to sharing this with other people about this new, this new thing that you've offered. So why don't I first, I'm going to let you, I forgot to ask you this ahead of time in our little pre-show thing. So why don't I let you go ahead and quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? you know, what do you do? How would people know you? Etc. Hello, my name is Stefan Bauer. I'm a designer, web developer, MVP for office development here in Austria, Vienna, and I run my own company, which is named NAD, and yeah, doing projects for customers. And I mostly don't do that much development anymore, so React development in specific or Office 365 development. My focus is more really on HTML, front-end, user experience, design implementations. Just keeping it clean, keeping it yeah. keeping it clean, and making it, not adding all the extra complexity of all that other junk on top of it. Exactly. For that. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> we hope that we get to work with good developers. At least I hope that you get to work with good developers today. I'm just going to say that you're working with a good developer. I got rid of my show co-host, so I can guarantee you we have a good developer on the show with you today. <laughs> cool. Absolutely, Absolutely. CJ. All right. So what we wanted to talk about today 
is something that you released last week. This is coming, this is our episode that's coming out right now today is highlighting something that you announced last week called H2O. We're going to dig into this and find out a little bit more of what this is, but how would you describe, I know how I would describe it, but I would like to give you the opportunity first to describe what is H2O and why should people care about it? And then we're going to dive into the details of this a little bit more as we go through this, this is our conversation today. Yeah, H2O is, is basically the HTML and CSS really rudimentary implementation of Fluent Design provided by Microsoft. So it doesn't require any framework, any dependencies on, on any third-party tools. It's just really plain HTML and CSS documented in a style guide that is mostly a, a web development thing that, that many companies use these days to have the style properly documented in HTML. And this is what I did over the last couple of weeks or implemented over the last couple of weeks. It was yeah, really... An interesting piece when I when I started this because I just wanted to actually create some modal dialogues for SPFX in a clean way, just two diffs and and see if this works pretty well. And then I demoed it to a, to a developer and said, she said, "Oh yeah, that's cool. How can we make this reusable? Do you do more stuff in this area?" And then I said, "Yeah, I can start something like that." So that's how I started H two O. That's cool. That it's interesting because. I'm glad to hear you describe it that way because that's kind of like how I would how I would describe it, where it's just pure HTML and CSS. And there's something that the challenge that I have had, and that I see many other developers have had throughout the years, going all the way back to when Microsoft introduced their Metro design, which then got renamed because they got sued over the name, but they introduced this Metro design that was supposed to kind of go all across the entire company. And then that eventually morphed into something, the Microsoft 365 group, or at the time Office 365 called the Office UI Fabric, which was, you know, we first got that as just plain old CSS, and then they were CSS and JavaScript to have reusable components, like a drop-down list, how that behaved and stuff. And then that eventually morphed into Office UI Fabric React. I was involved in working on a project, an open source project for doing an Angular implementation of Office UI Fabric. And then from there, you know, we a lot of developers, we've had a lot of challenges with working with Office UI Fabric and Office UI Fabric React. And then Microsoft kind of transitioned into this thing like, oh, you know, there's a lot of deficiencies there. And now we're going to switch over and have all these different design systems that are out there. And we're going to, at Microsoft, and we're going to unify them into something called Fluent UI and the Fluent UI and the Fluent Design System. And now we're seeing some news coming, leaks of stuff of something coming called Fast Design from Microsoft, which looks like more reusable components. As a developer, I kept, as a web developer who... I barely know enough CSS really to to break my own sites, but I found it to be so challenging because the engineers been doing the stuff for Microsoft. They seem to not care about backwards compatibility a lot, or at least understanding the issues that they could impact impacts could have. So I like I took all of my stuff and I backed away and I was like, you know what? I don't want to use their stuff anymore. I'd rather not deal with the headaches of trying to make my stuff look exactly like SharePoint, exactly like Teams. And so instead, I, I started using a thing called Tailwind because I liked using Tailwind CSS as it was just pure HTML and CSS. And then they had reusable components, but those reusable components were just copy-paste HTML and CSS instead of, I've got to use this React controller, I've got to use this or the way that they've implemented it, and I've got to use their dependencies. But 
just by using, just by copying their stuff to Tailwind stuff into my project, I wasn't taking a dependency on anything because they could make updates and they have no impact on me at all. I was not tied to some JavaScript library. So that's what really, when I first saw what you were doing here with H2O, I started to get a lot of the similar feel to what I was doing with Tailwind. But the downside that I had to Tailwind is that my stuff wasn't following the fluent design system their entire like it, my stuff didn't look like SharePoint and Teams. Yeah. It, it was close, but it didn't look like SharePoint and Teams. And so that was the disadvantage I had to going that direction. But when I saw your stuff, I'm like, well, you're kind of like doing the exact same thing that I'm doing, or your your net re- your end result is the same as what the benefit that I'm getting, but it's fluent. And so yeah. I do it would look just like it without that little extra baggage. Is that a fair way to look at this? Yeah, that's absolutely a fair way to looking at this. And to be honest, with all HTML, so we have now HTML and CSS for 25 years or 20-ish years, at least CSS in there. And it really has a longevity. I mean, it evolves over time. It, it slowly evolves, right? But if you have this really core fundamental HTML and CSS right, then you can transform it to any framework that you like. You can have put this uh, HTML and CSS into an Angular elements. You can do it in React. You can do it in Vue.js or, or any other framework around it. If you have the HTML right and the CSS right, then it gives you a lot of opportunities to easily adopt different frameworks with it, right? And even if you have design changes later, then you could refactor the components that you have in HTML and CSS. You can rebrand those. Let's say you have a bigger border radius on your buttons or something like that. That's easy to accomplish with HTML and CSS and gives all the developers an indication, hey, this is how my final component that I create then in React, Angular Elements or whatever should exactly look like, right? On the other hand, it's over time, all these frameworks really got too complex or at least complex. So you have to focus on one framework like React, right? You can be really good in in React or in Angular Elements, so you need a little bit more focus in there. On the other hand, there are a lot of technologies evolve in in the HTML and CSS area. So to combine these, I know everything like we did in the past, and we are long enough in this business that we, we know everything on the HTML side and CSS side, and we know everything about the frameworks is, is nearly impossible these days, right? Yeah, all right. So, and, and there is exactly the point where H2O comes in. So I'm more focused on HTML and CSS, and we have a little bit of JavaScript in there with just, just vanilla JavaScript. But I give you a tool, I give you the HTML patterns as you will, that you can then implement in in different frameworks. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine, actually, it's got to his intention that that I have H2O out now. And he just took a Blazor application, put in a document card of H2O, grabbed the CSS, grabbed the HTML, and he was able to run it in in seconds. So just taking taking the stuff that you've done with just pure HTML and CSS that you have in H2O, being able to leverage it, in a Blazor, so WebAssembly, Microsoft's.NET WebAssembly implementation. Yeah. Just being able to drop it right in and make it work right away. Yeah. That's it. That, and it seems like this just really addresses a lot of the challenges that we've had and the deficiencies that we've had with working with the different design, I guess, offerings that Microsoft has keeps providing. I mean, the, the stuff that seems pretty easy to understand is like the fluid design system. I mean, there's certain rules with colors and fonts and all that in the typography and all that stuff. We understand how all that stuff works and how the behavior of different elements are supposed to work. 
but the challenge has been like just be able to reuse it. So what do you see as like, I guess, let me take a step back here and say, you know, why, why did you end up having to build this? Or why did you feel compelled to build this? I shared some of the challenges that I, I ran into that when I was trying to use the stuff from Microsoft and I would see other people run into as well, but I'm curious. So you're the guy that I always go to for these kind of questions, right? Because I, I trust what you, you understand this stuff so well. And I haven't, a lot of times I don't understand what the problem is with this. I remember when I was building out my own uh, company website, I ran into something with like, I ran into some rendering thing. I'm like, I can't figure out the hell's going on here. And you're like, oh, it's just this right here. I'm like, I still don't understand it, but yes, that fixed it. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is like the, what is like the fundamental thing that we keep running into with the stuff that Microsoft keeps providing us here? I mean, the fundamental thing is that there, just in case of Fluent, Fluent UI, there are so many versions that got released, right? Bug fixes and so on. And so it's really hard to focus on, hey, what is the real latest stable version that I should use, right? This is one thing. Then also we have a lot of dependencies on uh, SharePoint Framework, especially when we do something in SharePoint Framework. What does SharePoint Framework use? What is loaded on SharePoint pages and so on and so forth, which then costs maybe problems in the components, right? And what my take is on, on the Fluent UI, they're nice front-end controls that they provide, but it allows not enough flexibility to say, hey, I like this component, but I want to like that it behaves a little bit different because my user experience or the goal that I achieve with this component, I have to tweak a little bit. And this is nearly impossible with React controls and, and it's not flexible enough. And then we had projects where, for example, a drop-down haven't worked the way that we have to use it. And so we rewrote some of the components anyways, right? Yeah. And and so with HO, it's, it's a more proto approach that we have documented in somewhere in HTML and CSS and have really these component libraries that is out there. And also another thing is that it uses atomic design, uh, which simply describes itself or give me uh, the best way you might understand it is when I give you an example. So you have for example, a search box on a, on a page, and you have this on all the pages, right? Then you have a, a label for it. You have the search box input uh, text field that you have, and then you probably have a button in there. This is all the same that you see on, on so many websites, right? And you have maybe a label and maybe, or you maybe have just an input text field and you have, you have a button there, or you don't have a button and just press enter. These are all these small components that then goes mm -hmm. together. Okay, I have my design for the search box with a label, with an input field and with a button that then goes into something which is then called a molecule if these small pieces are combined together, which mm -hmm. also requires some, I like to call it glue code, right? To glue these components together. And then this goes in, for example, into a header part or in a web part, you have a search web part or something like that. Now this right. is how this complete system is built up. And it was really interesting for me to see while I was building up this H2O thing. And while I was rewriting, for example, buttons or dropdowns and stuff like that in there, you get this ready-made drop-down buttons, buttons with a drop-down, but you might want to have it differently. Yeah, they offer in some way extension points to it, right? But I want to have a specific new control that does exactly what I need to do from a UX UI perspective. And so what I want to do, I don't want to reinvent the wheel over and over again. I just want to say like in, in the Lego system, I just built this red block, this blue block and this green block, and then I put them together and let's call it a house or something like that. Yeah. So it's really, what are the really fundamental small parts on a user interface that I can reuse, recombine together and 
based on those, create new user experience, right? When, when Atomic Design first started, there was there were a lot of talks. And so, and, and Stephen Hay, for example, said, we don't write web pages anymore. We just write system of components that work together, right? Right. And when I heard this in, in 2013, I guess it, it was really made click to me because oh yeah, we have such a web component or a system of components, which we have on the SharePoint side, these are just web parts, right? And these web parts and these components that we write need to work well together. They should be responsive and all, all that, that stuff. Right. Well, and, and you, in the way you describe it too, I mean, that just, that, I'm coming at it from a little bit of a developer's point of view, right? I mean, I understand the way that you're explaining it from a designer's point of view, but from a developer's point of view, a lot of times, you know, what we need is, it's not that I don't want to think about the UI, but it's that I know what kind of functionality I need. I don't need to spend the time trying to go through and to make something look like and work like the rest of the, the, of the site that I'm actually putting this in. Yeah. And so what I want to be able to do, like you described and like you have on the lab site for, uh, with all the samples, not just really, sam- actually, I say samples, but not, to me, they're not really samples. This is, they're, they're building blocks. They're atoms, yes. the yeah. molecules. That's and, the documentation of the design system that... Yeah. And so and what I want to do is I want to go and say, I need a button. And you're providing, you add a couple of references to, to some stuff to your project, like CSS references. And then you just say, I need a button. And so I go find the button, your controls, copy the HTML out and drop it in my project. And ta-da, it just works. Yeah, It just works. And it looks like the rest of all the other buttons that are used across my entire site. It's an easier, to me, it's so much of an easier way to build an application to where I don't need to think about all of that, the low-level implementation stuff, nor do I have to worry about, you know, breaking changes and stuff like that that's coming out. Yeah. That's the big benefit to me as a developer. Why I One of the things that I've really liked, especially for me, since I switched over to using Tailwind for stuff, that's what I like about what you've done with this, is it makes it, it's almost like I'm, I feel like I'm painting, it's, it's like the equivalent of a developer doing like painting by numbers. Yeah. Right? It just makes yeah. life so much simpler. Yeah, it, it's exactly like this. And, and what Tailwish actually uses that came up with the Atomic CSS, which is completely different than Atomic Design, because Atomic Design speaks just about how you document the components, how you build up a design system and uh, such. Atomic CSS actually is, it, I give you small classes that have just one purpose, for example, do a border radius or just do a padding uh, to a button or something like that, that is easy to understand and combine together, right? And and then the, the beauty of Tailwind, what it does, it, it really allows you to have these small pieces of CSS that you glue together, like I did with H2O with bigger components and, and bigger CSS. But it gives you a lot of flexibility because you have these small building blocks, right? Right, right. It, may, it does make it makes it a lot easier to use. So... Let me ask you a little bit then, I mean, we're kind of talking a little bit about the differences or not the differences, but just how like, you know, designers approach this, how developers approach this. Do you see this or what has the experience been? Actually, let me take a step back for a second. Is this being used? Do you have H2O being used uh, by any, like any of your customers and your clients, or has this just been something that, Hey, we need this. So I'm going to build this. and I'm going to see who actually ends up using that. And it's kind of like a pet project of mine. I mean, like, is this a, I know it's a real thing, but is it like, is it being, you kind of alluded to it a second ago, but is it being used by like real clients and customers today? 
Yeah, in general, the issue is a little bit too new that, but we still use it in some pieces. So when we build new components, then we use it already now today. And it's easier for a developer to say, hey, I want to, do you have something for a sidebar? And they say, yeah, go over there, copy in HTML, CSS, then you have a sidebar done, right? That's easy for when you have such even more complex components already ready. The whole system of atomic design I use now for a lot of, for a longer time, because what it also serves you, and we use a tool named, named Pattern Lab in the backend. So it allows you really to, it, it's built on handlebars and, and uh, JSON data files and, and markdown files for documentation. And so, so you basically, it's, it's also a development system and you can easily build up new user interfaces using the existing components. So it's not really that you have to write all your HTML and CSS, you just really play Lego in there, right? Yeah. And I use such systems for a long time now because when I guess it was around 2014, I created my own implementation of Pattern Labs, which served also these atomic molecule organisms things. And whenever I did some development, it was for me easier and I felt it really so really nice to just focus on HTML and CSS without having to worry about how do I implement this in a SharePoint web part or something like that, or how do I implement this in a framework? I just want to really focus on the user interface, on the, on the user layer, uh, right. user interface layer. So if I sketch it out with HTML and CSS, which is not that hard task to do, even if you do it just on, for example, with Tailwind on an HTML page on a static one, then it's easier to for you even to, hey, I create this one, copy in the HTML, create my React components out of it, do some wire up with the business logic, and, and then the web part is done. So it saves you a lot of time as well, because you can build new user interfaces using HTML and CSS. Once you have the UI layer already done, then it's just really combining the backend services with the front-end service, right? Yeah, it, and so it, it sounds too like it's a much better, a much cleaner collaborative experience between the designer and the developer as well. Yeah, and not, not only from, from the designer and the developer. I mean, it, it saves both people a lot of times and uh, work, work with Julie Taylor, uh, Turner, for example. And then she hands it over to me. Hey, we have a CSS issue. Instead of the developer digging into, hey, we have a CSS issue, what could it be? She passes it back to me and say, yeah, can you take a look at this? I figured this out. This doesn't work the way it should be. Then it was mostly sort of a five-minute thing or 10-minute thing, half an hour or something like that. For me, way easier to find than for a developer to identify what is really wrong in there. Right. And it also serves you, design systems like this also serves you on another la layer because you can host it then, uh, for example, on a GitHub page. I currently do this also with a web project where we use Pattern Labs, which is completely out of the H2O space. But it's really cool to have a documentation in HTML and CSS where a project manager can relate to, where a designer can relate to, and where the developer then take it and pick it up and build really live applications out of it. Yeah, that's really cool. So let me ask you another question then. So I know that you know a lot of the people I think are going to be listening to this, or at least the developers are listening to this, are thinking... Okay, so this is an alternative to using like Fluent UI or Fluent UI React, Fluent React, whatever whatever they want to call it these days, or the Office UI Fabric React controls. But they're thinking, yeah, but I'm doing React stuff. So does that mean that? How does this work with React? So do you have? Is are there React components that I could use Fluent UI with this? And I know some people are going to think like, well, is that really kind of going back to what I was just doing already? Like, what's the benefit? First of all, are you doing that? 
with, are you offering like React components as well? And then if so, it's like, well, then how is that different than if I was using the Fluent React stuff? Right now, it, uh, we don't have the React, but it's uh, it's on the plan that we have React components in there. And what happens there is a really simplification of these React components, right? If you want to have a button, then we just take out the HTML and the CSS out of the H2 core, which is just HTML and, and, and CSS, put it in a React component, and then you can do with it whatever you want. So it, it's the components will be much simpler in this way. But even more powerful because right. we have a consistent design layer and the React components just work as they should work. I mean, I have a little bit of JavaScript in H2O, which then will be implemented, for example, when I have a dropdown or something like that. This will all go into, or it serves also as a pattern for the React developer to build a new component based on it, right? Right. Is probably easier to do it than in React as what I do in, in JavaScript. It was another JavaScript. And, and it's really really on the plan that we have at least React.js controls there and that we also have Angular elements probably. Oh, very cool. That's interesting. I, I see more and more people kind of... I see the, re, the Angular question coming up less and less over the yeah. years uh, compared to the React questions, but still keeps definitely coming up. But So it's cool. So I mean, so today we don't have that as part of H2O, this has been just the first release that you did last week, which yeah. is all the, just, and it's very full featured. It's not like a beta release. It's funny because you, when you first showed this to me, I think it was like six weeks ago. It was a while ago. Yeah. And I kind of was like, all right, I want to start using this now. I want to start using this now. But I could tell you were like, no, I want to make sure this is like when, when V1 comes out, I want to make sure it's pretty much like complete in terms of HTML and CSS. So yeah. I mean, I've yet to find something that I was going to, that I felt was, lacking when I was looking at all the controls that were available to me. But now, I mean, so now you're saying you're going to, yes, we're doing React controls as well. Those are forthcoming as well. And you'll get the same kind of thing that you get today. I mean, there's nothing stopping from somebody from building their own stuff, their own list and having their own interactivity stuff to it with React today. But you do have stuff that is coming. Yeah. And, and there are some components in, the, in there that you might miss, right? For example, a date picker. Mm. The reason why I don't do a date picker in there is natural because how this all works, right? We have the date picker in Microsoft Edge. We have the date picker in Microsoft Google, which works pretty well. And I was recently on a podcast and they said, yeah, we redesigned now both in the Chromium project, the date picker. The Microsoft one in Microsoft actually built a fluent UI date picker. So you can use the native control, which is much more powerful, less buggy. And the Google Chrome people built their Chrome material design date yeah. picker. So there is not really a reason why you use anything else, because most likely Internet Explorer is finally, or at least in August, gone, hopefully, yeah. completely. So and yeah. you have then the native components that is provided by Edge and Chrome in there anyway that you can use. So you, nothing for you to really develop. I mean... If we have to do some special border because of Fluent Design does it, so be it, then we add this this one to it. But it will still yeah. be the default date picker. That's funny you bring that one up, use the date picker one as an example. I remember when I so I spent some time working with Google when the SharePoint framework was coming out and they were trying to get Angular elements or Angular and SharePoint framework to be more friendly with each other. And that's at the time when they were looking to kind of to move forward with web components and specifically Angular elements. I'll never forget the guy that, at Google that 
is like, you know, this is ridiculous that we keep having to rewrite the same date picker. He goes, if anything, if this just solves the problem of us having to keep rewriting yeah. date pickers, I'll be happy. But yeah, yeah. this was, a, was really a combined effort between Microsoft and Google and said, yeah, let's, we are in Chromium together. Let's be build just one date picker. And this is really a complex thing. If you take uh, think about airline sites, then you have probably date range picker and something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's still, it's nice that they could collaborate on this and like just yeah. better for the web, better for developers in yeah. general. Uh, There's the only other things that we should be spending our times on. Yeah. And the only difference I spotted between those two date pickers is actually the, just a logo for the dropdown of the date picker. <laughs> Which, yeah, that they got each one of them, their corporations. They got to put their brain on something, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What's next for, like, what's the next stuff that you're planning on doing this? We talked a little bit about, about React, but do you have any other big plans for this? Or do you feel like it's kind of like, hey, now it's like, let's get people out there using it and see what needs to be done, if there is anything needs to be done? or What I actually want to do is, uh, because... I mean, there's Microsoft Northwind that was going into Fluent UI, something like that. So I want to research more on, hey, what is currently available in Teams, what is used there, and combine this with together with the Fluent UI designs in H2 so that you have much more, if you're, for example, that run H2O in Teams, then you have some experience that are unique for Teams or something like that. Right. right. And then really what I also try to do is build out some documentations of the base components that we have in, in, in SharePoint and document them in HTML and CSS only because sometimes really the customer, hey, I like how this web app looks, but I don't like how it works, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then you have... And these components are actually not part of Fluent UI framework, right? Mm-hmm. They are completely missing. So, I mean, we have the document card in there, but this document card in Fluent UI looks different than the one that we use in SharePoint. And mm-hmm. these are just small pieces that, that I want to add over time and then also will make use of this modular system because I don't need to reinvent everything. So the adoption actually would be faster, right? Right. For example, a calendar card that we have now in SharePoint, I can just use the document card, just replace one piece, and then I have the calendar card. And what I also want to do in future is to create complete new experience where I think, hey, this looks maybe nicer. And so because I have this set of really Lego blocks, I can freely build around and try out new things and experiences. Yeah, so it's easy for you to prototype or just kind of play around yeah. and to, to kick the and and stuff. Even if someone from the community has some ideas what controls we should in, have in there, mm-hmm. all welcome to contribute to this because it's an open source community driven project. And, and if you want to contribute or have some good ideas or want to help out, for example, with accessibility, I try to also document everything about accessibility there and articles that I think are useful. Why I built this this way? So it's really, it serves multiple purposes. So one purpose is actually I have the HTML and CSS ready. The other purpose is that I have a documentation. Why is there accessibility? How this works? Where do I find the information? Why it is built like this? And the other thing is, if you want to learn something about, hey, how is, for example, the button built, then you just can simply look it up and learn from that. Yeah, and that makes sense. I, I think it serves the community in, in multiple ways. I definitely agree. So in terms of like what's next then? So one thing, uh, I don't know if I missed it, but one thing I was going to ask about was like in Teams, they have the different theme modes. So like between default, dark mode, high contrast mode, is that is that something you're looking at too? or? Yeah, that is something I look at. It's... Also, I mean, I use now the theme slots that we have in in SharePoint available completely mm-hmm. because it gives me, it helped me a little bit during the development. What is the button 
background, what is power looks like and so on and so forth. But there will be a, there is an ongoing refactoring of the control so that I get out this really up subjective, hey, this is the button background hover and so out so that I get really back to the theme slots. Then I will also be able to provide a, a theme for the different variants in Microsoft Teams, right? Because you have the purple in there. Yeah. Which then just be replacing the colors. And also, if you have another theme that was already created, then put it in there, have it in there, see how the controls works this way. And also dark and light mode. Well, it makes it, Even, yeah, something po- it, makes it possible to be able to do that stuff. Yeah. Even maybe with, with preferences. So if the user has his desktop in, in dark mode, then it will be automatically in Teams with dark mode. So these are things that are technically possible right now because the browser supports it and especially Teams inside supports it. The browser is running in there, but it's not yet really implemented in nor in Teams nor in uh, Fluent UI. Yeah, well, we're getting there, right? We're getting yeah. there. Awesome. Is there anything else? Let me ask you before we get, before we move on. Is there anything else that you would like to say that I have something that you wish that I would have asked you about H two O that you think that people should be aware of? We are going to have a bunch of links in the show notes where if you want to learn more about this and and be able to follow the project and leverage it in your in your projects, definitely check the show notes. There'll definitely be some links in there. But is there anything else that you would have liked that you want to make sure that I would have covered with you before we move on? No, I guess that's was pretty much everything. Um, I mean, when you you can reach out to me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. If you have some questions about it, there is also, I create the discussion also in the GitHub repo, which is in the show, show ah, links. Very cool. If you have some ideas and, and to have really an ongoing discussion, what should we implement? What is missing? How you want to support us? Uh, H2O, what are your ideas? I know there, there's a high demand for, from the community out there that they won't support this because I did a couple of, of, tweets over the last couple of months and and hey if you build something up i would help them so yeah we'll see how this works and i really hope that the community joins it i'll tell you if, you know from a i say this not just because like you know we're friends and because we're on the show here but i will tell you that to everybody that's listening to this the right person is behind this project this is the per- he not only does stefan he understands this stuff but he understands open source he understands community as well so you we're in a really good this is in a, this project is in a, is in really good hands in terms of having nice good long legs to be able to to uh, solve a lot of the problems that we have and also to be something that's going to improve over time and address the challenges that we need that we're having today. So I was really happy to see that you were doing something like this. In fact, I was you know I guess one thing I didn't I one thing I shared even we were just talking about in the last week about it when you were showing this to us. I think one of my first reactions was, I really hope that you're finding a way to monetize this in some way for you, because I hope that, you're, that your time is you're rewarded for the time you put into this in some way. Not that we're going to end up having to pay for it, but it's just like, you know, hey, I, I yeah. really hope that there's, you know, if it leads to more work or something like that, I really hope that, this, that the, the goodwill that you put into this really comes yeah. back to you. Working in it, if, if you want to sponsor it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Coming up. Watch the GitHub repo for sponsoring yeah, this project. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, Stone, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, again, everybody check out the links in the show for if you want to learn more about H2O and how you can go and get started using it in your projects. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. 
If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.